welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Have you ever wondered what you'd do if you came into a large sum of money? What if instead you came into a large sum of time, say 70 or 80 years of it? Would you use it wisely? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Fight, with the second part of this message entitled, Fighting to Number Our Days, which covers Psalm 90. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. When we use the term to number our days, it comes out of Psalm 90. If you have your Bibles, turn there to Psalm 90. The 12th verse actually uses those words, teach us to number our days. It has to do with intentionality in one's use of their time. I'll introduce it while you're looking up the text. I'll introduce it with this, uh, an illustration. Imagine that you receive a certified letter and the letter simply is informing you that a, a wealthy relative of yours has left you an amount of money of $10 million. So all of a sudden, there you are, you're, you, you got $10 million at your disposal that you never dreamed you would have. And the question is, how would you use it? You know, you have different options. You, you, could, you could blow it, you know, you could just foolishly just start spending, 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 and I would assume 10 years later you might be left with nothing. could easily happen. It does happen to many, think particularly of professional athletes who've had no money, and then all of a sudden they make it big in their professional career, they get a huge amount of money, millions and millions of dollars, and then it's, it seems like five, six, seven, eight, ten years later, you read the story of they're bankrupt, they have nothing, it's all gone. Well, that's one thing you can do with your money. But most people probably wouldn't do that. Uh, secondly, you have the option to spend it cautiously. You could just say, I- I'm going to be very careful how I spend this. Uh, I want to let it last as long as possible. And you spend with thoughtfulness. I'm going to do this. I won't do that. And at the end of 10 years, you know, you still got a, a large amount of money, but not as much as you had, but you've got a large amount of money. Then there's a third option. The third option is that you could invest it wisely. You could say, okay, I'm going to put this money in investments. I'm going to use this much, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to invest. And then 10 years later, later, there is a likelihood, a real possibility for sure, that you're going to have more money than you had previously, though you've been able to spend a lot and you've been able to give a lot to causes you believe in. And it's a, it's a, a great way to, to use your money. Three different options. In an analogous comparison, we've been given a commodity that is far more important than the money that we get. It's our time. It's an important commodity. And I'll tell you this, it's a commodity that most of us here would assume, and most of us rightly, that we have in our mind a large portion of that time left. A lot of time. Because so many here are young. And we look at our lives and we go, wow, look how many years. I mean, probably I'm going to live so-and-so and I got plenty of time. Well, the reality is we have three options with time. They're the same three options. Let's look at them again. One to blow it. Just blow it foolishly. Uh, these would be the people that would take their money and say, uh, or their time and say, you know what? I got plenty. I'll do what I want to do. And they don't have priorities. And next thing you know, 
their schedule's out of control. They've now found themselves years, years later, and their spiritual formation has been dwarfed through the years. They look at their family and say, man, I neglected uh, building into the lives of our children, the values, the beliefs, the doctrines that they should know to help them through life, and, and, and their deep regrets at the end of that time, as it would be with money. We have regrets. Secondly, though, we, we could actually, you know, begin to say, no, I'm going to spend it. I'm going to spend it, but I'm going to spend it cautiously. And so this is the person who says, I'm going to be scheduled. I'm going to be disciplined. And by the way, some of us are very, very schedule-oriented. It's easier, perhaps, for those who are. And there are others of us here that are going to be very spontaneous. And by the way, that's the way God stamped you. That is good and okay. It's the way God has wired you to be. But still, the importance of saying, I am going to look at my time and I'm going, to, I'm going to try to use it as cautiously as I possibly, possibly can. I'd put it up a circle that looks something like this. Uh, put it in four quadrants, relationships, vocation, recreation, religion. And this is the person that says, well, I want to make sure I've got plenty of time for the religious, spiritual side. I've got relationships I'm building, vocation. At the end of a life, they look back and they say, wow, you know, I really enjoyed the beauty of creation. I, I enjoyed the the relationships, the sweetness of relationships that I've built with other people. I've been able to serve a lot of folks that I feel good about. And, and you look at that at the end of time and you say, boy, that's good. It certainly is better than blowing it, but I'm going to suggest to you there is a third option. And I think this third option truly is the ideal of numbering one's days. This would be to invest it wisely. It looks a lot like number two, I agree but it is different. I'll put up a circle. The same circle now has, has the four different quadrants, but now it has in the middle the cross. I like to think of that as I, as I created this little diagram. Think about a, a board game and it has uh, one of these little spinning things you flick, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Have you play games? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> you just flip it and it kind of points to something, you know, as you flip it and you do what it says to do. Well, I don't want you to think of this as such that it, it, it's kind of a, a random thing, but the reality is, as you look at the cross of Christ, you let it point to the direction, your relationship with him, and it's an all-influencing, all, I mean, totally influencing our lives as to I'm spending time in the religious area of my life, but it's all spiritual. And you know what? I now need to spend some time and I only have enough, I don't have enough time to do everything that I can imagine and hope to do. But under the influence of God's spirit, we say, spirit, would you direct my path? Would you show me where to put my time? And what we do is day in and day out, we try to say, okay, God, what would be the best use of my time today? What should I do today? What shouldn't I do today? And we're under his control during that time. It is not random, but it's under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to do that, I truly believe there are a number of things in God's Word that He is in giving us instruction to say, look, if you want to number your days, then this is what's going to help you do that. And that's what we're going to do after this week. Because in this week, we're going to talk about why. Why would we number our days? Let's make sure we've got the right understanding of why it is so important but then after that, we want to look at some ways that will cause us actually to number our days better. One will be a slower pace. We'll look at that next. 
Then we'll look at the idea of simplicity. I said last week, simplicity is not going to be what the vast majority of us think it is. We think, oh, simplicity is cutting back on the expenditures and not having as much and this. That is not. It may include that, maybe, but it is far beyond that. That is not simplicity, as you'll learn. Time won't permit us to get into the third piece, but we did it about a year ago, and I'll make all that resource available for you that missed it a year ago, but the fight for a single day's rest. I tell you, those three, if you just begin to approach those three and say, I want to apply that, though it be little bit by little bit, we say, that's where I want to make progress. Those three things will leave an outcome where we look back and say, God, I think I have numbered my days. But what I want to do now is I want to look at the text. I asked you last week because of the long illustration of expl explanation of the, of the transition. I said, would you read the text? Would you study the text? And then let me come in today and, and we'll open up the text and maybe go a bit deeper than you might have been able to understand in the time that you have. And maybe when we leave here, it becomes very clear why we would be saying, God, I want to number my days. All right? Let's look at number one. Number one is because life is short. Verses one through six, and I'm going to read this piece by piece and see if it doesn't kind of come together and make sense as a text. Some parts of this text are very difficult. So anyway, here's how it starts in the first two verses. Lord, you've been my dwelling, our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he's beginning by just displaying the reality of the eternity of God. God is eternal. And by doing so, he's putting time in perspective. We see him and his eternal aspect and then the measuring st standard for time that we have left becomes a little bit different. And we think, man, this is just a blink. So look what he says next in verse 3. He says, you turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. Now he's suggesting that, that this thing happens and then it turns around. He comes back with verse 4 and he says it this way. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. He's saying it's going to happen really, really quickly. When he comes to the next verses, he's going to say, in fact, let me compare it to a, to a stream that's running past. It's there and it's gone. And then even like, is it like a flood? The flood is really quickly passing by. And then he, he says, or it's like a flower. You know, the flower, it, it blossoms one day and it's gone the next. So this is how he says it in verses five and six. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they're like grass, which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. Now what he's just doing there is simply saying, I know that particularly in the youth of life, we look at life and say, there is so much time left. Oh my goodness. When you're six, year old, uh, six years old, a year seems forever and ever. When's my birthday? Well, it's all but four days shy of a year you just celebrated four days ago. It's like, yeah, but guys, that's forever and ever and ever. So, of course, life, and particularly if you look up at old people, you go, gosh, I don't, this thing's been forever and ever and ever before I get that old. Then you talk to those of us that are old. 
right? And there are some of you older than me here too, you know. Well, for us, what do we say? Oh, this, it's in our conversations all the time. When we're talking to our peers, don't we say this? Where did life go? How did that happen so quick? Man, didn't it seem like yesterday that we were just the dot, 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 dot? It wasn't just a blink of an eye and now, look, here we are. And the reality is we're not going to get the full blink in before we're gone. It's that quick. We recognize that. And so we're given a great motivation. Why would we number our days? It's because there's not a whole lot left. In reality, compared to the eternity of God, I mean, it's a blink and it's gone. And I think about you that are seekers here. I'm always concerned for you because I mean, you're the interest of my life in terms of ministry. The congregation is too, but I always think we're here we're here in this place to help those who haven't yet figured it out in terms of understanding the Christian faith, and it's our job to help. And we like to do that as much as we can. But I'll tell you this, there's that tendency to say, ah, you know what, I got time, I got time, I got time. And I cannot help but think of a story out of my past when I was at college. When I was in college, I was, I was working, uh, you know, among students just as, a, as another student. I was working among the athletes, some of the athletes of, of the school, different sports that God just kind of gave me an inroad to through leading a few to Christ, inviting me to see other people and that group who were interested in reaching their peers. And so uh, I remember them saying, hey, Randy, can we invite all of our buddies on our teams and, and, and could we just have just a, a, a gathering and kind of a debate about Christianity? Because some of them are really negative and they're very critical and others have real questions. And what if we just had a kind of a forum to do that and so we did and it was so interesting oh we had some that were critical and sharp and bitter and and making proposals that were ridiculous and then other people were asking questions about well how do you know and when do you and so forth and it was a wonderful time well through that night I met one of the skeptics who was there and he and I really became friends, not deep social friends by any stretch, but we were friendly and enjoyed seeing each other. We'd pass campus from time to each other on campus, and, and we'd have comments and, and so forth. Usually I would be seeing him from a distance, and we'd rave at each other or scream out or something. And so after I'd had a few talks with him, I knew where he stood. And his position was, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm ready for it and all this stuff. And, and so his little thing was, I'm thinking about it. And so I'd see him across campus and I'd say, I'd call him by name, say, hey, how you doing? How's it going? And his response was the same each time. Thinking about it, that was his thing. <laughs> thinking about it. And I said, well, you better keep thinking. And we'd run on and there you go. And then, hey man, how's it going? Thinking about it. And we got to notice that he had fallen into a crevice and did not wasn't aware of what had happened. And over the days, he probably, they say, suffocated and died at that spot. And life was gone. And I kept thinking, I wonder how he was thinking about it at that moment. When now all of a sudden, the reality is, no, no, life is not long. Life is very, very, very short. Think about it. I contrast that with at the same time, I was going to bed one night while at the University of Alabama. I was just going to bed one night. And as I was there, God put on my heart, and I, 
I'm going to say, God spoke to me. Hey, not infallible word. Uh, not that it, you know, was an audible voice. Not, I'm not going to say that. But I'll say this. He used my conscience in a deep way and where it came from, why that night. But I'm laying there and a name from a man in my high school that was not a friend of mine whatsoever. We'd like, we would be nice to each other, but there was no friendship, no social connection. I'd never done anything socially with him. And through someone else who was gotten very close to him, we've been talking about him. I'm sure that's why it was on my mind. But I'm laying there, I'm going to bed. It's in the wintertime, cold as it could be, and I'm in the bed going to sleep. And I just sense the Lord saying to me, you need to get up and go meet this guy and talk to him. Tell him about me. Oh, I fought with God. I said, oh, God, he'll think I'm crazy. And he already thinks I am. Now what is he going to think, you know? And are you sure? And so I had to do it. My conscience made. So I get dressed. I have to find out where he lives. I finally locate it. And I go to his rental house where he is. I get to the door and I hear there's a party going on. And this guy was a hellraiser. He probably got the number one vote in our high school, at least for his class, as the number one hellraiser. And then he carried that reputation into college. I knew that. And I could hear the sounds. When I opened the door, I could smell the smells. I said, oh boy, this is a party. <laughs> Whoever came to the door, I didn't know. And he said, well, who are you looking? I said, I told him the name. And he said, yeah, he's here. It's his place. And I said, well, can I talk to him? So he comes to the door and he looks at me. And he says, Pope, what are you doing here? I said, it's strange, but... I really, I really believe I need to share the important things about eternity and life with you. Would you be open to discuss it and talk about it? <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like, I know he's going to think I'm crazy. You know, he said, he said, okay, hold on a minute. He grabs a jacket and he walks out and says, let's walk. We walked around the block, I don't know, five, six, seven, probably an hour. We walked around the block, just around and around and around. And we talked about Jesus and the faith of Christianity. At the end of our walk, he was very appreciative. He said, thank you. You know, I, I'm sure this is so important. I know it's, it's probably true. He said, I, I grew up a Catholic. I, I, I know a lot about God. And I, and I know I need God. And I know all that stuff. But you know what, Randy? Life is too good right now. I, I, I'm a, what I'm going to do, I'm going to party for years and years to come. But at the very end, I'm going to turn to him. I said, it doesn't work that way. You may not ever get that opportunity. Well, I didn't see him again. Not one. I, I don't think I ever saw him between then and the summertime. We're from the same hometown. And I hear a knock on my door. I happen to be at home that late afternoon. I, I go to the door and there he stands. And I say, what are you doing here? He said, I'm ready. Ready for what? I'm ready for what you talked about. We ended up on our knees at my home. And him saying, God, here's my life. It wasn't many years later, four, five, six years later, he was through graduate school of theology. He'd become a pastor. And next thing you know, for the last 20 years, he's been assistant pastor here at our dear, dear friend church, Church of the Apostles in, in Atlanta. He's a pastor there, one of the lead pastors. I, I'm telling you, it's a totally different approach. It's one who says, you know what? I do need to think about it. Seeker, think about it. That man now will tell you I'll guarantee you, he'll tell you, that is the most important thing that ever happened in my life. I'm glad I pursued now. The point is, time is short. Time is short. Let's look at number two. 
Number two reason, we are accountable to God for our lives. I'd like to read verses 7 through 11. I'm going to hold 12, which is the passage of numbering our days, and see, notice what leads up to this, and notice some of the words, such as, this is challenging, fury, wrath, anger. You're going to hear these words come up. It's not a pleasant text. It could give you the wrong impression about God if you don't understand what he's saying. He says this, for we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in light of your presence. Meaning he knows everything we do. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it's gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Now, there's a lot of talk about how angry and wrathful and so forth he is. Is God a wrathful God? Absolutely he is. Is he a God of fury? Of course he is. Is he a God who gets angry? Well, we know he is. Those aren't debatable things. Of course he does. But if that's all we hear and that's all we know of God, we have to assume that this is a God that I don't want to be too close to and I don't like people who are wrathful and, and, and furious and people that are angry. All, I don't want that. And so it gives us the wrong impression. What he's doing here is he's explaining the nature of sin. And he's saying the nature of sin is such that we don't even hardly realize the, the relationship between our mortality and our sin. Why is it that we die? Why is it that we face the fury of God, his anger and his wrath? It's because of sin. Sin that's not been dealt with. Never has been taken into account to be dealt with and paid for. You see, as recipients of God's wrath, the question, does that include Christians? Well, the answer to that is no. No Christian's going to receive the wrath of God. Wrath is used for the word that describes penalty and punishment. We're not going to be punished. Why would we not be? We're sinful. Answer, because Jesus already has paid the penalty of wrath on himself. He takes the wrath that we deserve that because of sin. That's the story of the gospel. So, Keep that clearly in mind. Now, what about anger? You do see some of God's people, and it talks about the anger of God dealing with them in the story of the episode you read about. So the question then comes, well, does God get angry with Christians? Could he do so? Well, it depends on your understanding of anger. Biblically speaking, I'll make this very, very, very simple, and then I'll show you a way you can go and study it further if you want. But if we mean angry, or anger as an expression of disgust, or of rejection, or of withdrawal of love. No, he does not do that with his children. We are his children. He loves us purely. I mean, purely he loves us. No doubt about that. Now, if we're talking about wrath or anger as an expression of jealous love, or as loving his children well because he is angry, 
Meaning that, yes, when his anger comes, he sees the sin. And that's what you see in some of the accounts. And here's the person of God, and God's angry in their sin. Oh, he is so angry, as you and I as parents would be, of our children who do something that's going to hurt them so badly. And we know that. And our anger is not one of rejection. It's not one of saying, I don't love you. It's not that at all. It's, no, I love you so much. How can I not be angry? If I weren't angry, it would mean I didn't care about you. It is because I care about you, yes, there's going to be anger, but it's, it's not retribution. It is not punishment. It's not those things. The cross of Christ has dealt with that. Uh, Bob Cargo, I shared with him on our teaching team that I was covering this, and he's written a paper, and I, I put that paper, it's very good, a, a paper that just discusses this particular issue, and it's on perimeter.org slash pope, and it'll say Randy recommends, and you'll see that. We'll keep it on through the series. It's an excellent work that you can read, and it doesn't answer all questions, and he would say that, but it does stir the pot to understand it far better, I do believe. So that is available to you. When we came to verse 10, as I read it a while ago, remember it said 70 years of due to strength, 80. I think that's pretty interesting. And he says, and life is consumed, and he says with two things, labor and sorrow labor and sorrow. You see, now, this is where we got it wrong, people. We have got it in our minds, even as Christians, even though the Bible says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal around you. Still, we think, here's how life should be. Life should be without pain and without suffering, without labors that we don't want to labor, that a good God would take all that stuff, which is painful and hard, and a good God would say, I'm eliminating all of that. You know, a bad parent would eliminate all the stress and all the challenges and all the hardships of their child. That'd be a terrible parent. I listened about a study of, of parenting today where so many parents are, are saying, oh, we don't want them to go through that. Oh, don't let this happen to them. Oh, keep them from that. Don't let them fall. Don't let this happen. Don't let that. Oh, keep this up. Please let. And what's happening is and now a new society is rising up and people can't deal with pain and hardship. And so now everything is, don't hurt their feelings, don't say anything, you can't do this, you can't do that. Because if you do, it's going to hurt them so badly. Why? We've been conditioned. We've been protected so much. And so the reality is it's a, it's a good thing God does for sinful, broken people. We need to go through that. I, I voiced this, shared the very quote from Paul Tripp in the Christmas Eve service. Some of you were there. I love his statement when he's talking about the present. He says, we tend to think the present is designed to be a comfortable destination, but it's not. It's designed now only because of sin. It's designed now is to be an uncomfortable preparation for a very comfortable destination heaven itself. That's the way it should be. Kids need to learn that. Kids don't need to hear what I heard from my dad. Oh, how can you be sick? You're too sweet to be sick. Are you kidding me? God needs to kill me now. No, no, I had the wrong perception. Thankful that good theology came to rest where I was grown spiritually and said, no, let your expectation be what the Bible says, not what you want to believe. Now, I know time, I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to throw this in because I have, I can't hear 70 years of due to strength 80 without sharing this. Because I have a theory on life. When I hit 40, 
I noticed there were black balloons and there were, you know, all these cards of sadness and so sorry. I, I saw these words over the hill and I'm going, I don't get this. When, when I was 25 and, and, and when this church was planted, I couldn't wait till I was 30. And when 30 hit, I couldn't wait till I was 40. When I was 40, I couldn't wait till I was 50. When I was 50, I couldn't wait till I was 60. When I hit 60, I can't wait till I'm 70. And when 70 comes, I'll bet you I'm going to be loving looking forward to hitting 80. Now, I'm going to stop there. (laughs) And there's a reason. And the reason is I I came up with this theory back when I was 40. I said, I think we got a wrong perspective. Now, true, I understand. Children die with cancer. People die in 20s and 15, 30 years of age, 50, whatever. It's not that way. People don't all die at 80 because given 70 years, if due to strength, 80. I mean, I had the most wonderful conversation yesterday with a dear family who's been with us since the beginning of this church, the Buckners. Some of you might know them. But Jack and Florence Buckner, they just celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary, and I'm going, wow. And so I'm just talking to them as friends, and, 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 and they said, you know what? I said, how old are you now? And he said, well, I'm, I'm uh, 96. And she said, I'm 93. But said, you know what? We've had no health problems our whole life. I can't, we don't, we, don't, we don't go to doctor. We never go to doctor because we don't have health problems. So it's just been amazing. God has just spared us from health problems. Oh yeah, now a little bit of cataract, something, you know, the eyes is hard to see, but still driving a car, this and the other. And I go, it's amazing. Well, what happened with the 70 years of due to strength 80? How did they, well, because that's not saying everyone lives anywhere between 70 and 80. So please understand that. But here's my theory. Just to put life in proper perspective. What is zero to 20? Well, in my mind, it's not exactly 20, but zero to 20 is pretty much fun years for most people. Okay, they're, they're immature. They're just thinking fun, 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 right? Many of you had too much fun during those 20 years. You, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Then there's 20 to 40. 20 to 40, I see, is foundational years. And they, so why talk about over the hill at 40? Come on, no, 40, you're just getting started, Right? It's, now, it's start and finish, only a blink, but you're getting started in that blink. And so that's your foundational years. You're building a foundation for your family if, if you're married. You're getting a foundation for your business uh, for your, uh, uh, or, or your, your work life uh, in your ministry. Everything becomes foundational. Then you hit 40 and you have 40 to 60. Now you've got a bit of youth left and you've got some experience and foundation built. So 40 to 60 become your your uh, fruitful years and you're seeing great fruit you've got energy and effort unless you're sick and have issues like of course but but this is your fruitful years for most they're fruitful and then you hit 60 and 60 to 80 really are your fulfilling years now you can forget about your kids and focus on grandkids you know (laughs) if you've got a family it's I mean they're far better than children and so You know, they're, they're just, they're fulfilling years. And, and you get to look back at the fruit of your labors and the fruit and so forth, and you get to slow down a bit. You get to, you know, whatever. Okay. 70 years of due to strength, 80. So 80 to 100, those are frustrating years. <laughs> I mean, Carol and I have had parents that passed the 80 mark. They weren't pretty, not for most of the years. Were they horrible? No, but... But still, it's the idea is, why do we, oh, I can't die, I can't die. No, 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 no. Let's think that. 70 years due to strength, 80. So as we start looking, numbering our days, don't start with 100 
and assume maybe I'll get to 100. Think, no, let's assume 70. Now how much time do we have? A lot less than we thought. Number your days. There are not many left. I can say that. At 67, I go, okay, I got 13 years till 80. It may be three years at 70. Somewhere, I don't know. God may have me go to 85, 90. I don't know that either. And great if he does. But why not start thinking of time and the time that we have instead of one thought, oh, I'm all right. I got plenty of time. So take that into account. We get to number, verse 12, and I'll close this pretty quickly. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Wisdom to avoid his wrath, wisdom to, to set a true estimate on one's life, and, and then wisdom to prepare for the next life. Then you come to the last point, and it's a quick one, but it's an important one. A well-spent life will leave a permanent accomplishment, and we need to know that. It's, um, well, God is rightly angered by sin. There's good news. It's about his love and grace, and that's what this text is going to tell us about. We can be recipients of God's mercy. Verse 13, he says, do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Do you know what it means when it says sorry? The word means have mercy. Okay, God, you are a God of fury and wrath. But on your covenant children, you show mercy. 14 and 15. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us. And the years we have seen evil. Look at this. The days you have afflicted us. We write that out of our theology, don't we? Oh, the devil afflicts us, da, da, da. God doesn't, has nothing to do with it. God wished it wouldn't happen, but it does. And, you know, the devil won on that one. No. I can show you approximately 100 texts in Scripture that will overwhelm you and show God did this, and you see the pain and agony. of God did this, and God did that. And, but keep in mind, for his people, for his people, it's the way that he's going to use to make us, as James says, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It'll be for that reason that we'll look in eternity and start saying, yay, God, for all that stuff I hated. Well, we can't understand that now. So what do we do? We trust. And we go to his truth and we say, let's trust what you have to say about that. 14 and uh, 15, and then we look at verse 16. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. In verse 16, your work is referring to the work of his loving kindness and his mercy. And there again throws us right back to the good news of the gospel. Verse 17 ends it when he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. It means, confirm means to give permanence to. Give permanence to what I do. A verse I memorized way back in high school, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58. It's a dandy. It says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord or your toil. It's not in vain. And that's the good news. So, three good reasons to number our days. That's why we would number our days. Not a good, not a good answer. It's, it's good, but not good enough. Because the reality is this. If we see the work of Christ on our behalf, 
And we see Calvary's cross and what he did, taking that wrath, fury, and angry punishment away and replacing it with mercy and loving kindness. Do you know there's something that makes us have to think and then ultimately feel this way? Well, even if the days weren't short, and even if there was no accountability that's coming one day for the life I live and how I use my time, and even if it doesn't impact the next generations by the fact that I do number my days, I'd still say, why wouldn't we all go? Lord, I'll number my days just because it's you that told me to do it. And you'll watch duty turn into delight. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that we might be a people who number our days. Forgive me, I'm, I'm the teacher and I don't number mine as I should. We would all admit that. I pray for the seeking community among us. We pray, Father, that they would find even this day a hunger to look and stare at your cross, to see your love, to bend the knee, to fall in love with you, and even then begin to number days. I pray, Father, that you would be with us as a family of God, your family. And I pray, I try, pray Lord, that, that we would be a people now who began to figure out what it means to slower the pace, what it means to live in simplicity, and what it means to keep a single day's rest. Grant it, we pray, for your honor and ultimately our blessing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.